Welcome to the Kosafa Show with Mark Gleason and Nick Said. Welcome to our 71st episode of the Kasafa Show that comes hot on the heels of the first two rounds of African qualifiers for the 2026 World Cup. There were some fascinating battles and surprise results, and here to talk us through them is our very own African football guru, Mark Gleason. With only the top team in each pool guaranteed of a place at the World Cup, there's little room for ever, but we have already seen some slip-ups, not least from our Kasafa nations. Mark, uh, thanks very much for, for joining us. First of all, the format. I just wanted to talk about the format this time around. It's a bit different from how it was in 2022. We now have nine groups, most of them with six teams, uh, in a campaign that you know essentially spread out for, for two years. Um, do you think this is a fairer way of doing it compared to how they did in 2022? Absolutely. I think 2022 was sandwiched basically into three months. Um, there, there was the excuse of COVID, so that um, is perhaps not a, a benchmark, but... Uh, all of the countries are involved. All of the countries are guaranteed um, a pile of matches. They're guaranteed to be competitive, even if they're not in the running over a two-year period. And that just stimulates national team activity. I mean, it was fabulous over the weekend to be able to watch the likes of Djibouti and Somalia and 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 countries that you don't regularly see in African club competition. And of course, all of the Kasafa countries participating as well and, and some wonderful results for, for the likes of the Camors. So it's to me, it's um it's a fair way when everybody participates in the group phase, as is the case in Europe, as is the case in South America, that you don't have a preliminary before that to get rid of the so-called minnows and then have only the bigger teams participating in the group phase. I think uh, the European model is perhaps the most satisfactory. Everybody gets an opportunity. And even if some of the games are a little bit lopsided here and there, I think it does make for a fulsome competition and, and one that is exciting for the fans to follow over a lengthy period of time. Yeah, and I, you know, I was just thinking about that um, beforehand. You know, if you look at someone like Seychelles, they would have come into uh, the qualifiers with very limited ambitions Two heavy defeats, um, you could say to them, well, what's the point? But the point, as you say, is they will have matches, uh, high-profile matches over the next two years that can hopefully help them develop along with Cup of Nations qualifiers. And I think they'll have competitive games too, because if you look at their group, um, they've got Burundi and Gambia, neither of whom they've played so far. I mean, they've, you know, they've they've started basically with two of the toughest teams, with the Ivory Coast and with Kenya. They don't have home advantage. Hopefully their facilities will be fixed up by the time the next qualifiers come around in June. And then I think when they play against Burundi and Gambia, they'll be competitive. You know, they'll have a chance to to maybe get some sort of result, to get some sort of measure of where they are in international football. So uh, I, I think, you know, there will be, there will be games where um, it's lopsided and they will battle and there will be many people saying, you know, do we really need to have this kind of match? A little bit like the France-Gibraltar game in, in the European Championship qualifiers at the weekend. A 14-0 result is not really what you want in international football. But these things happen um, less frequently than perhaps they did, but they do happen. Um, but I think Seychelles are going to find that there are a couple of games where they can really measure themselves and and and, and have a decent football match. So if we just run through the groups, then let's start with Group A. Um, a strong start from from Egypt, two wins, eight goals scored. Um, they would have expected, of course, to beat Djibouti and Sierra Leone quite comfortably. 
They have been, though, just to one of the last eight World Cups, which is really quite incredible when you think about it, how much success they've had with Al-Akhli um, in that time, three Nations Cup wins in a row. Is there anyone in this group that can challenge them? And do you think, uh, or what do you think of this kind of 2023 version of the Pharaohs? I think it's a bit of an aging side, but it is still a very strong side. Obviously, with Mo Salah, the talisman, and he's still on form. I mean, four goals already in the qualifiers, you know, even though he might be past his best and um, not delivering at the level that he did it for Liverpool a few seasons ago. Um, he's still very much one of the top players in African football. And I think it's a group where Egypt will be absolutely mortified if they don't qualify. Burkina Faso would probably be their strongest opponent. But for the rest, Guinea-Bissau, Sierra Leone, Ethiopia, Djibouti, you know, that's that's four times two, that's eight wins in the pocket for them. You know, they really only have to worry about Burkina Faso away from home. And that's likely to be played on a neutral venue anyway, because the Burkinabe are one of the countries who, who at the moment are banned from using their home facilities and who don't really, given the current political and economic situation in the country, look like they're going to be able to fix them in time. Um, that gives Egypt a massive, massive advantage in this group. And I, I think it would be very, very, it would be a major, major upset were they not to qualify as one of those as one of those teams. And you know, when you when you make a reference to the fact that they haven't done well previously in terms of qualifying for the World Cup, but their record um, in terms of getting to the finals is poor. I think the other thing to to remember that that that's kind of all goes out the window now because of this expanded World Cup in 2026 with 48 teams and Africa having nine places. Um, you know, there's so many more sides now with a decent chance of competing who perhaps in the old format with only five places would, would struggle to, to get a look in. Yeah, I guess the, the slight little um, battle for them might be that, as you said, is a little bit of an aging team. Three years on now to 2026, it might be one of those that they qualify quite comfortably, as you say, but then perhaps have quite an old side at the finals unless they can use this period to to bring through other players if they have that kind of talent coming through. Well, I think, you know, clubs like Al Ahli and Zamalek and, and more recently Pyramids and Future are providing, you know, there's, there is a constant conveyor belt and they're not scared to play quality youngsters in their teams um, if they if they are capable. And of course, they all have the forum of good competition. I mean, the Egyptian league is tough, but all of those Egyptian sides go very far in the African club competition. So that's, that's priceless experience for a lot of those youngsters. So they're able to graduate young players a lot quicker than many other African countries. So I think the, the conveyor belt is there. Um, it's is it's is as you suggest, um, you know, will that change of generations come closer to the World Cup finals than it should? Or will they start working on that now? You know, get get one or two desired results. I mean, I think there'll be a few players now who will move on after the um, Cup of Nations finals in the Ivory Coast player, like, for example, Trezeguet, I think, you know, probably at the end of his his uh, international career now. And there's probably a chance there for a younger player to step in and to uh, take his place. And so the evolution of the side might come a little bit quicker than, than we anticipate. If we move on to Group B, um, Senegal... The overwhelming favourites there as well. They were held by Togo this past uh, their second game, nil-nil. 
but they had thumped South Sudan before that, so they've got four points from the first two games. Also, in, in a way, um, quite a few players, I think Adrissa Gay, uh, Kulubali, uh, Mane to a certain extent, who are perhaps aging a little bit, but it's, it's too hard to see anyone rising surely from this group to challenge them. No, absolutely. Yeah. I agree with you. And 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 then again, Senegal is another uh, country with a different conveyor belt, but but as effective one. I mean, we've seen... Uh, Ilman Njai, for example, was at Sheffield United now with Marseille, really stepping up to the plate in terms of profile in, in European football. Nicholas Jackson signed for huge money at Chelsea, uh, even though he hasn't really proved himself so far this season. You know, they, uh, he's obviously a player of enormous potential given how much they paid for him. Um, Pape Matsa from Tottenham, you know, barely out of his teens and playing regularly in the Premier League. Uh, and of course, Ishmaelia Saar, who was at, stuck a little bit at Watford over the last few campaigns, is also now at Marseille. So, you know, when Mane goes, there are quite a few players to take his place. And I think, uh, you know, while their conveyor belt is more in European club football and from the diaspora and from, you know, players that, um, that, that are born in Europe and bred in Europe, but of Senegalese descent, it's, it's a little bit the same with Egypt is that, is that there is, there is potential to replace and to replace now rather than later. And then if we move on to Group C, three of our Kasafa teams, uh, fair to say uh, a mixed bag, perhaps the happiest, <laughs> after these three games might be Lesotho, which we perhaps wouldn't have said before uh, the qualifier started. Um, but yeah, if we start with Zimbabwe, I guess a solid return for them, considering this is essentially a new national team that they've put together after their FIFA suspension. Yeah, and a national side that, um, you know, I think still needs a bit of polishing and a, and a bit of game time, a bit more game time. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how much football they manage to get in before the next round of qualifiers in June. You hope that they'll use that March window, for example, to play some decent friendlies and to look at some new players. Um, I, I thought initially when they played the game against Rwanda, which I watched, that that was a, a missed opportunity. But then after South Africa's performance against uh, away in Rwanda, then you you think, well, okay, that's you know that's one up for the Zimbabweans. And then of course leading against Nigeria, that would have given them a lot of confidence as well. So I. I think uh, they've got every potential in this group, you know, um, might not have started with a win in, in their opening two games, but it's a long way to go. And um, they are always dangerous. And as we know, Zimbabwean football is full of quality players. And then Lesotho, obviously an excellent uh, draw away in Nigeria. Um, and then a home draw with Benin. Also really, really sort of solid start for them. Yeah. And a, and a, and a good fighting performance. I mean, defensively against Nigeria, they were perhaps a little fortunate the, the Nigerians were all over the place, but against uh, Sierra Leone in Durban, they were wonderful in defence. There were some excellent stops to deny Benin. Benin looked a stronger team, uh, and there were some excellent defensive stops to to keep uh, Lesotho in the, in, the, uh, in the mix. And then on the counter-attack, they did have one or two chances. So it's great to see. It's also good to see a local coach coming through again. I mean, Leslie Nazi has been coached several times, and then they replace him with a foreigner, and nothing really happens. And now I, I hope that the lesson is learned that they give uh, someone who's intimately involved with Basutu football, has known the team so well over decades now really he's come through the ranks that they give him a decent you know decent run in charge of the side and they let him 
they let him develop this team over the next two years, certainly in the World Cup qualifiers, and 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 particularly with an eye on the the next Cup of Nations in um, that follows this in Morocco in 2025, where you know Lesotho, one of the few countries who've yet to play in that tournament. I think that you know that must be their their big aim. Uh, and decent results in the World Cup qualifiers will certainly help their their cause and and build their confidence. And then South Africa, I think will be desperately disappointed. I, you know, I think they would have targeted six points from these two games. Uh, Coach Hugo Bruce said beforehand that was the goal. They never really reached any great heights in either of them, if we're honest, um, including the win over Benin uh, on Saturday. Just your thoughts on them? Yeah, I think, you know, this, this Bafana side uh, flatters to deceive at times and then really has absolutely no consistency at all. It makes it very difficult to forecast how they'll do or to, to have any decent feeling about or, or, or indicator about their potential. You know, first of all, I've not been a, a fan of Bruce and his policy of of the young players. I don't think that's delivered for him. I think a lot of mediocre footballers have got into the team um, because they either fit the age profile or because they're playing overseas. Um, I think playing overseas is no um, does not give you an edge over a local player, particularly. Um, a player from the Premier Soccer League in South Africa, which has a you know a decent standard. Uh, I mean, just as an aside, you know, yesterday evening uh, or on, excuse me, on Tuesday evening, I watched um, the match between Morocco and Tanzania, and Tanzania fielded uh, for his debut a 20-year-old goalkeeper from the third division in Sweden, who's only you can only think to yourself the only reason he got into that team was the fact that he was playing overseas, and and and. He made such a bad howler early on in the game, and he was so poor. Um, you wondered to yourself how, however, he could play any international football. Um, and when you look at his club profile, third division in Sweden, you think, you know, what preposterous thinking was there to put this guy in the side? Um, and and there are far too many coaches who choose players based on the fact that they're based in Europe and therefore they must be better than local players. I think that's absolute nonsense. I think South Africa's got quite a few examples of that in their team. Uh, you look at Mayan Bella, for example, who, who struggles to get a game for his Cypriot club. I think four starts the season, if I look at his stats. Um, he's not Bafana material. He doesn't have the work rate. He doesn't have the he doesn't have the ball skills. Shongwani um, did well in the in Major League Soccer, but you know, is he really the best striker that South Africa have got? I think there are a lot of there's a lot of questions about the selection of this team that let South Africa down, and there are a lot there are a lot of other players available, particularly domestically, who could who could perhaps be doing as good if. Possibly not better, uh, a better job for the team. And then I think uh, we have to have a chat about Nigeria. Um, they, I think, did have a few injuries going into this camp, but for some time now, they've looked quite out of sorts. And as you alluded to earlier, a little bit all over the place. Just what is your assessment of what's, what's happening with them? Well, I was looking on paper a few weeks ago at um, contenders for the Cup of Nations and the Ivory Coast and just going through the squads on paper. And I thought, I'm reading the Nigerian tech. I thought, wow, you know, actually, 
They were a little bit under the radar of late, you know, they didn't qualify for the World Cup. Um, and therefore, there is, you know, maybe people aren't putting as much focus on them. There was the, the great success of Morocco at the, Cup, at, at the World Cup in Qatar. And that's where all the African focus has been over the last uh, 12 months or so. And maybe Nigeria, you know, could be, could be the team to suddenly emerge again, particularly on the back of this incredible attacking talent, led, of course, by Osman, who was top goal scorer in Serie A last season and won the Scudetto with Napoli. But um, they were frankly so poor against Lesotho in attack in particular, and then not much better in the game uh, against Zimbabwe, which I admit I didn't watch all that much of. But um, I think it's it's a real crisis time again now for Nigeria. But then again, you know, you've got to be careful not to write them off because, you know, it's a country um, with huge playing talent. And should they go to the Cup of Nations, for example, uh, in January and suddenly click, you know, you need one or two good results in, in the group and then suddenly you get a bit of momentum. They certainly have the playing strength to go on and win that trophy. And it would, it would be very Nigerian-esque, if I can use that word, for them to duff it in the World Cup qualifiers and two months later emerge as African champions. Very true. Group D uh, was a bit of a tough time for all of our, our Kasafa sides. Um, Angola, two away, Nilno away draws, one in Cape Verde, uh, one in uh, Mauritius. Eswatini lost to Cape Verde, lost to Libya, real tough start for them. And then Mauritius beaten Cameroon and, and then Angola draw. Just your assessment of them? Well, Angola, I think, um, will probably be the strongest challengers for Cameroon in this particular group. So the fact that they dropped points in those, uh, not so much away in Cape Verde, I think that's probably a fairly decent result, but certainly away in Mauritius, that'll be of some concern. They've got some personnel problems that I think they need to iron out before they get to the Cup of Nations. There are one or two players that weren't available, that could have been available, and there seems to be a fair amount of unhappiness with uh, some of the logistics around the national team, um, something that they certainly need to work on in the, over the next two months. I think a uh, good start for Mauritius to take a point off um, Angola. And they were fairly competitive against Cameroon. I mean, they were only a goal down until the last 10 minutes or so. Um, and they've seemed to found one or two players in Europe uh, of Mauritian heritage that they um, are, are able to use now. And I think the team is, has, has been strengthened as a result. And Esfartini, you know, well, they, 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 they're they a completely home-based side. Um, very unusual for African football. And I think you can see the gap between them and uh, and the bigger countries. But they have limited resources just in terms of population size, you know, and they, but they're always there. They're always competing. They're always battling away. And I think they've got the potential to, to maybe create a, a shock or two. I mean, we saw Namibia beating Cameroon in the Cup of Nations qualifiers. You know, what's, what chance Eswatini perhaps taking out Cameroon in a home game, particularly if they were to get their stadium fixed in time, um, which you, you hope that they will do by, by June next year. Um, then, you know, playing at home in front of their fans in the tight little stadium at, in, in, in Somcholo will be a, a very tricky proposition for visiting sides. Group E um, has five teams after the withdrawal of Eritrea. You would think uh, it would be a shootout between Morocco and Zambia for top spot, um, although that's not to write off the other teams. How disappointed do you think Avram Grant will be with Zambia's loss in um, in Niger, or not in Niger? Sorry, it was in it was played in Morocco on neutral territory. How how disappointing will that result be for him, given that he's going to be chasing Morocco in this pool? Yeah, absolutely. I think what it means now is that they, you know, if they want 
if there is to be any realistic chance of qualifying Zambia, they would need to beat Morocco at home and possibly draw away with them. Not beyond their capabilities, I might add, but a very, very tough assignment. You know, when, you, when you're in a, in a group with an informed team like Morocco or in Algeria, for example, uh, or Egypt, you you can ill afford to drop points in, in games like Niger away. Those are the kind of matches where you must win um, to keep up with, with the Moroccans because you know they're going to win that game. I mean, Morocco against Tanzania on um, Tuesday night was a great example of uh, a really tough away game, but because of their quality, they just were that little bit better than the home side who had 60,000, 65,000 supporters, you know, willing them on. And Morocco just rode that wave with the class that we've seen now for, from them over the last year with that success in Qatar. So uh, I think for, for, for Zambia, a massive, massive blow losing to Niger it really, really must be seen as a lost opportunity. And now they've really got to take Morocco by, by the throat and actually get the points they need off Morocco in order to have any chance of qualifying. We have already spoken about Seychelles in Group F, um, but in that pool, we've got Ivory Coast and Gabon, who made two very strong starts. Um, Ivory Coast, I guess, will be many people's favourites, but Gabon, certainly not a team to be written off. No, and and um, they, they're a side maybe now who are able to move away from the influence of Obama Young, who has finished now for the second time his international career and allow, you know, allow a few, allow the collective to flourish. You know, it's always been a little bit of a one-man team. I don't think that at the end of the day, Gabon have got the depth in their squad, anything like the Ivorians. So this is really a group for the Ivorians, uh, an easy group, I think, for the Ivorians to qualify for the World Cup. And then in Group uh, G, Botswana got a good win against Guinea, um, which kind of rests skewed the window for them somewhat um, after defeat to Mozambique. Um, but fair to say, Algeria looks streets ahead of everyone else here. Yes, Algeria, I think, are another one of those, you know, very, very competent sides at the moment. I mean, they had a horrible Cup of Nations tournament and a horrible World Cup playoff against Cameroon. So uh, haven't really built on the 2019 success, but they're still, you know, one of the one of the really, really toughest teams on the continent to beat. And it's no surprise that they started this well. Um, Mozambique, I think, will be uh, will be fairly happy with the fact that they won away in Botswana and they're always going to struggle against Algeria home and away. So they could see themselves perhaps in contention for second place alongside Guinea, who uh, you know, have a strong squad. Uh, and so Botswana did everybody a favor by winning in Guinea. Um, and I think Botswana, Botswana, as they've done in the past, you know, can 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 be a team of spoilers, you know, and they could they could get a point here and there or take points off some of the bigger contenders. I don't think they'll have any realistic chance of going to the World Cup, but um, they could certainly make a good impression for themselves and at the same time, you know, keep building their side for a, for a Cup of Nations campaign. And Malawi and Namibia each recorded wins uh, and a loss in Group H, um, which I guess those games, if we look at it, probably went to form. Tunisia and Equatorial Guinea are the two teams on six points after, after those two rounds. Um, your thoughts on this one? Well, Namibia um, did without were without Peter Shalolile, which was something of a surprise given just a few days earlier um, he had won the African Football League with Mamelodi Sundowns. He won that on the on the Sunday against uh, Widat Casablanca and then was injured for the Wednesday, or apparently injured for the Wednesday game. I'm not sure there wasn't some sort of arrangement made there to give him a bit of a break. Um, but it's it would have had a, a real effect on the Namibian side. I mean, 
the, the game against Equatorial Guinea, they were poor, but it was basically, a, it was last Wednesday. So it was literally, you know, they literally got together in Joburg on the Monday, got on the plane and headed off to Equatorial Guinea, arriving the day before the game and then played. And so, uh, and lost it, you know, midway through the second half. I think they'd be a little bit disappointed. Then they went on to Morocco where they beat Sao Tome 2-0. I think maybe a little disappointed that there couldn't have been more goals. It's not a great Namibian side, to be honest with you. There's, um, there's, there's, there are a few outstanding individuals, but there's a lot of mediocrity too. But they go into the Cup of Nations in the Ivory Coast, which is going to be great for experience and for team building. And hopefully, Colin Benjamin, the coach, will be allowed to stay on after that, and then you know, build the team a little, you know, strengthen the team a little bit over the two years of the, of World Cup qualification. Um, and then, of course, uh, Malawi losing to a late penalty in Tunisia. That must be a disappointing one for them, particularly after after having won their, their opening qualifier. So they too are a side who could use the tournament to build and use competitions like the Kasafa Cup to build, but aren't really going to be able to challenge Tunisia. And then Group I, Comores, maybe fair to say, been the surprise package of the entire round of two games. Um, following their 1-0 win over Ghana, um, they also had a victory over Central African Republic in the first game. Um, yeah, dream start for them. Yeah, four, four goals against Central African Republic after being behind and then uh, just rubbing salt into the wounds of Ghana. You remember that they knocked Ghana out of the Cup of Nations finals in um, Cameroon in, in one of the great upsets of Cup of Nations history, sent the Black Stars packing early on in the tournament and have gone and done it again, you know. And this might be the end of the of the Ghanaian coach ahead of the Cup of Nations finals. We'll wait to see over the next couple of days where there's not a sort of a, a firing that happens there. But uh, wonderful results for the Comores. And they, you know, they keep they keep punching way above their weight. You know, obviously they draw a lot on the on a very big migrant community in France, particularly in Marseille, where there's where there's, you know, hundreds of thousands of Comorians living and wonderful footballers that they're able to choose from um, and 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 it makes for an interesting group they've certainly given Mali uh, uh, a bit of a, a boost there because I think it'll, it's it's a group on paper that looks to be between Mali and Ghana and so you know taking points off Ghana is a big boost for Mali and then Madagascar also won I mean they won away uh, convincingly against Chad admittedly in neutral Morocco but 3-0 uh, victory for them is, is, is huge and they are you know they're also sort of changing their team now. They've been a, an aging side for the, the team that went to the 2019 Cup of Nations finals in Egypt, basically stuck around since. And over the last year or so, they've uh, they've freshened it up and they've got a couple of new players in there. They've found some new talent in France, in particular in Belgium. And, um, you know, they're, they're another side who could who, who could cause problems for Mali and for Ghana, who are going to be the two teams battling for top place and a, and a berth at the World Cup finals. Yeah, and you talk about Madagascar, Ghana only scored a 96th minute winner against them, Kamasi, and a 1-0 win. You know, so that could easily have been a, a goalless draw as well, which would have been a great result for Madagascar. Talking about Ghana, they are, it seems a little bit in the same vein as Nigeria at the moment. Perhaps not quite the same talent, but but there is talent there who is playing at you know in the best leagues in Europe, but not seemingly getting the results that you would expect. 
you know, with Mali in this pool, is is there you know real danger that the the black stars aren't going to make it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, and, and and this is a good point you make. I mean, a very exciting side. You know, Semenyo, Mohamed Kudus. There are a lot of players there who are making a big name for themselves at club level in 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 Europe, and yet uh, as a collective, they 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 battle and they, and they have battled for a while. You know, they um, although they did get to the World Cup and they did push Portugal very close. You remember in Qatar, um, certainly didn't disgrace themselves. But you must also remember Mali uh, and the way that they tanked their playoff game against um, against Tunisia. Do you know is the Malian side does it have as much depth as the Ghanaian side? You know when the crunch games come towards the end of the campaign, will you know will Ghana's much stronger squad? Um, you know, just be a little bit too strong for Mali. I think that's probably what's going to be the case. But it's going to be an interesting tussle on the on the way through. But yeah, Ghana, but like Nigeria, really do need to try and you know sort out their problems. Maybe freshen it up a little bit. Take out a couple of players who've just been there a little bit too long. Maybe a Jordan and Daddy Ayu. It's time for them to move on now and you know let a fresh generation take charge. And then there's a few injuries there too that I think have, have hampered them a bit. And should everybody be fit, uh, they'll probably look a lot stronger. So it'll be interesting to see how Ghana do at the Cup of Nations because they, you know, they've got the potential to do well. They, they, they're in their, they, they're neighbours to the Ivory Coast. They'll have a lot of support. Um, and they'll go in like the Nigerians with everybody thinking, well, they're, they're a little bit of a spent force and yet could also suddenly um, go from a bad start in these World Cup qualifiers to, to contesting the Cup of nation's final and, and indeed lifting the trophy i mean that's how you know that's how fickle it is in african football and how and how um, small the margins are at, at the top level yeah just lastly mark i just wanted to touch on that nation's cup and, and you alluded to it earlier the the next world cup qualifiers are in june 2024 we've got between then and now the african cup of nations which is naturally a bit of a attrition in terms of players uh, but also coaches so for a lot of teams, things could look quite different um, come next June and shake things up quite a bit for these World Cup qualifiers. Yeah, I, I think that's guaranteed. And I think there'll be one or two more of those kind of cycles before we get to the end of the campaign. And that's the that's what makes this World Cup qualifying that so, so much more interesting because there are those other pitfalls that uh, teams must deal with. And we've seen so often in... Um, African football history, how the two different competitions have impacted on each other. You think of, for example, uh, in South Africa's case, you think of Carlos Queiroz, um doing so well in the World Cup qualifying, getting South Africa to the 2002 finals in Asia and then going to the Cup of Nations, actually not doing a bad job there, but getting knocked out in the quarterfinals uh, by Mali and then getting the sack six months before the World Cup. It happened to Shaibu Amadou a few times as Nigeria coach um, after he'd taken them to the semifinals, never mind the quarterfinals. So there are there are these dangerous pitfalls along the way for 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 coaching personnel in particular and also for players. Um, and I think we'll definitely see a lot of changes after the Cup of Nations. That's 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 almost a given, you know, in that that's sure to happen for many of these sides. So yeah, when we when we open the playbook again in June, uh, the teams are going to look different. The coaches are going to look different. Uh, a lot of a lot will be starting on a new page, and um, 
I think that will happen once or twice again before we get to the conclusion of the World Cup qualifying campaign. So it, it, it's really going to be a thrilling affair over two years. And I'm glad it's uh, it's this long and it's this protracted because the best sides are going to emerge at the top of the groups, unlike the last qualifiers, which were basically September, October, November, and one year out from Qatar. And then it was all over. We had the, we had the, um, we had the playoffs in March and that was it. It was really an unsatisfactory World Cup qualifying campaign in my opinion. Absolutely, totally agree with you. Well, that's it for another episode of the Xafa Show. Don't forget you can listen to more of our podcasts on our YouTube channel, Spotify, and iTunes. You can also get the latest news via our website at www.kasafa.com and on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. 